Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. G'day, Clayton here from XY Advisor. Um, I was reaching out across across the oceans there to, to New Zealand the other day and uh, I met Ian via email. And Ian, you were saying you'd been an advisor for, was it 40 years? Uh, just uh, 42 years, Clayton. 42 years and uh, you just retired. And uh, I thought that was a really good opportunity to say, well, before we lose your information that's you know you've you've gained in your head for the last 42 years um we should definitely jump on a podcast so thanks so much for coming on you're welcome so you started your career at amp yes yes walk us through what that was like back in the day uh, i was um i was reminiscing the other day and just thinking back to the, my very first day in the industry and and uh, i'd come off a, a training school and and i felt that i knew everything i needed to know and and uh, but as I sat in this little little cubicle with a desk and a and a calculator and a and a pad and a and a form on the wall, which gave me all the answers to the objections I was about to receive from all my would be clients, <laughs> um, I realised I knew nothing, and uh, and I certainly wasn't a salesman. Didn't feel like a salesman. I'd never felt like a salesman, but here I was faced with the prospect. So. Um, it really meant that I, I did a little bit of soul searching right there and then, and and uh, I, I felt I needed to perhaps do things a little bit my own way, but guided a wee bit from the direction I'd be given on the training course. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's kind of a common experience. I mean, many, many years later, um, when I, I went through training with AMP as well, it was sort of a similar situation, and I, and I had come from accounting, and then I'd worked in sort of the... Uh, I guess the superannuation legislation team at a, at a self-managed super fund company. So really sort of technical background. And then I went to AMP because there was a, a way to sort of start your own company through a bit of a process that they had called um, AMP horizons. And I was, I was struck with the same thing. I realized, you know, I'd never been a salesman either. And yet this was the methodology that was handed to me. And I guess um, had worked for them for so long um, that you kind of left with this, Mm, somewhat of a path, well-worn path to follow, but it just never, it never really stuck or struck me as something that I would like to do. So you're right. I end up sort of finding my own path as well, but I'm interested to know that there's probably a, there's probably more support for someone who was trying to do that, you know, about say eight, nine years ago, rather than someone who's trying to do that 40 years ago. So what did you do? Where did you turn to? Well, I, as I said, it was the, the focus seemed to be on selling, and um, I didn't feel I was one of those people who could just stroll into somebody's house or somebody's office or and so on somebody's farm and and walk away three quarters of an hour later with a proposal under my arm. It just just wasn't me, and uh, and and I guess I, I I I tried to work out what it was that that needed to happen, and and I felt that. People were perhaps given that they'd given me the time that they were seeking advice rather than seeking a product and seeking some guidance. And that's what I perceived or what I, I guess I felt was, was 
what was the, the situation. And so I guess I worked around that um, to the point where, I guess over the years, um, the process has evolved to the point where instead of paying lip service to the concept that, that you were there for the benefit of the client, but to, to actually try to establish a way in which you can end up by sitting on the same side of the table as the client, both working on an issue together, both working and working towards a solution as a result of the discussion that you've had where you've established what the needs may be. And, uh, and I guess that, you know, working towards that solution by the means of uh, mutual trust and, and understanding and from an advisor's point of view of awareness, clear awareness of what the, the client or, or potential client's situation is. So in other words, moving away from the, the time constraints of, a, of selling and, 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 and measuring your success in terms of sales, measuring your success in terms of relationships and, and, and in terms of, of being able to look at a client and say, yeah, I think they've done a good job there. It's it's not the the ideal program, but because not everybody can afford the ideal program at any particular time. Sometimes these things just have to grow, and so uh, yes, uh, that, that that was the the way I guess things evolved. That's a, a I mean, the conversation we're having right now, and and uh, and what you're talking about, it does sound it sounds so normal and it sounds so common these days, but when you were having this conversation or with yourself, you know, when you were going through in your mind, what you believed advice should look like compared to what it was that you were trained to do. I mean, this is, this is way before anyone else was having these conversations. So you, I guess in one way or another found yourself in the industry and immediately considered that there could be another way to do it. I, I, first of all, I find that so fascinating that that journey in financial advice is literally as old as now f- what financial advice is. It's only really about that 40 years old uh, as a profession, or I should say as an industry, which is quickly becoming a profession. Um, and and it's, it's so cool to hear that this journey began right at the start. Um, what were... What were the first things you were reading? What were the, where were the first places you were turning? Or, or were you just led by intuition? Well, the, one of the things that I did was I, I felt that what I needed to do, I had to move away from the one interview and two interview sales situation. I needed to, I felt that the first interview was the opportunity for us each to, to have a look at each other and understand. And, and in those days, of course, that there were insurance advisors, there were millions of them, just as there are real estate agents today. And so the, everybody that was in the office that you worked from was in competition with you, as well as those representing other companies. So, mm. so um, it, it meant that you had, to, um, you, you had to work in a way that you, that you took away from the selling aspect. So what I used to do, would, I would say to, um, I would have the discussion, initial discussion with, with people. And as you say, it's, it's commonplace today. But, but I felt that if I could actually help to prove the understanding and prove the trust, um, that if I could come back to them with, in writing, what it was that I had discovered 
and given the time that I'd had, I could I could sit down and think about the situation and visualize myself in their shoes and and try to reflect that that feeling and 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 using a little bit of the very tiny little bit of experience that I had accumulated at that time to try and give a wee bit of input to to the process that we were going through. So, yeah, but. It, but the interesting thing was that as the years went by and I went to conferences and I listened to people speaking and, and they weren't all people who were in the insurance industry. Quite often there were people um, outside of the insurance industry who were talking about client relationships. And I, all of a sudden I started to realize that the path that I was treading was the right way to go. And as you know, when you go to a conference, you want to learn things, you want to find out new things and, and help to stimulate you to, to, to be better at what you do. But a useful part of a conference is to be, get confirmation that you are actually traveling down the right path. That is just so important. And so, so that meant that as I read more and more and, and, uh, and, and um, I struggle to remember all of the, the Americans and, and um, even going back to Dennis Waitley and Zig Ziglar and all these people that, you know, that, that, that you learned a little bit more about interaction with clients. And, but yes, the, the values, the values, uh, value selling the, and the integrity in, in relationships. I think anything that drove in that direction, I found was really useful and just reinforced that I was in fact going the right way. Wow. And, and then, so you, you obviously succeeded in, in your early days as, um, as, a, as a financial planner it, by virtue of the fact that we're having this conversation, you stayed in the industry. And, um, and, and so you would have seen such a huge change. Did, were, you, were you ever in a position where you were helping sort of guide that path? Because I feel like you would have been one of the earliest people who was sort of producing this message. Um, have you then found other, like the ability to hand on that information to others who have come after you? Well, I had only been in the industry about three years when, when I was, um, when I took up a management position and, and one of the things that I did was that with the, the new advisors that I had on my team and, and the, my very first team, I had 25 advisors and, and, wow. and a number of those guys were old enough to be my father, but, but certainly the newer ones coming through, I taught them the same sort of thing that I'd been learning. And one of the real pleasures I've had was to know, in fact, even as we sit here today, that one of those people I recruited way back there in the early 80s is still in the industry himself. Hey. So, and, and a number of these people that I have come across through the years have said that they've seen value in what we've done and, and, um, and that approach has helped them as well. So, yep, yep, that there has been, uh, there have been quite a few people who have benefited from that approach. But as you say, it's pretty much old hat these days. <laughs> I'm interested to know where you landed because over the course of your career, I'm sure you came up with 101 different ways to run your initial meetings, to run your ongoing service. Um, and that's one of the challenges. It's one of the fun parts of being a financial planner is you, you get the chance to sort of test and, uh, and discover what works best, not just from a, I guess, from a, a situation where, more clients see the value in what you do and so become clients, but also the outcomes that you deliver. So over time, you're consistently meeting with them and delivering outcomes. Um, I'm super interested to ask, 
where did you land? So um, right now, if you obviously there's not a best, but it was somewhat of an ideal first interaction. How how would you run your first meeting or first two meetings, or what is your onboarding process? I'd be very interested to hear. Probably need to go back a, a few years. Now go back just ten years, because at ten ten years ago, um, a situation arose whereby I had sold my client base to an organization that I was working with. And 10 years ago, I had decided that I, I wouldn't retire at that stage, that I would, I would carry on. And so what I did was I identified the market that I wanted to be in. I was very clear about that. But I also, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to speak to less people during a year and I wanted to have enough time to be able to do justice to their situation. So that, and I, what I needed to do was I needed to link with others who were in the same market that I wanted to be in. And that led me to accountants. And accountants who were holding the relationship, but they also had moved away from being wise in every area and recognizing that there were people out there who could perhaps do better than they could in specialist areas, such as in, in business risk areas related to the insurance side. So, so in, in essence, what I did was I, um, I built a business from a new business from 10 years ago based on referrals. Hmm. What that did is it meant that when I sat down with somebody for the first time, that he or she had been referred to me by their accountant. There was background provided on both sides so that when we sat down for the first time, they pretty well knew that we had a job to do, the client and myself. And, and so sometimes I would go step right back and do things the way I had done previously and the way I would have done with somebody who hadn't been referred to me. Uh, but generally speaking, we could go straight in and, and I was seeking information that I hadn't already been provided by the accountant and, and the, where I got a feeling for, for these people and you know, what, what made them tick and, and, and why we were sitting there. Well, what, were, what were the issues? Were they there just because their accountant said it was a good idea or were they there because he perceived that, the, that they needed some help? So the neat thing about it was that we could actually get talking straight away, um, but um, and in, in many cases, the clients would have turned up with information that they felt that they that I would need to be able to work with them. So, I, over the last few years, I've had some really very very good discussions and um, relationships that have developed and grown. But but from my point of view, from a purely selfish point of view, um, it's been absolutely. Um, delightful to work with people like this. Everybody's got a different story and, and everybody is different, but, but, but it is so exciting working with people in small businesses. It's, it's really great. I haven't answered your question. I'm sorry, but I haven't given you a wee bit of back for it. Absolutely. Um, so I think probably what's even a better question, and I feel like you did actually answer the question, which was um, people come in prepared 
And so you're able to get straight to the crux of the story and, and the idea that you had to sort of prepare them for uh, any kind of work was already done. And, and I feel like that opens up a really good question. And this is a question that I always wanted to know. I just didn't know, I guess, how to even ask the question, but the question is, what do you do or, or maybe a better way to say it is how do you prepare your accountant with questions so that the client walks in um, as ready to do business as you've just explained? Because I think you're really right. When you, all you're dealing with is clients who walk in with their eyes wide open, with they, they, they have a problem, you have a solution um, and there's no sort of, there's, there's not, there's nothing other than ex, other than having a great conversation and execution. I fully agree that they're always the best clients and the better the work that is done by the accountant before uh, that potential client walks into your office, then the better experience that you and that client are going, going to have. So I guess the real question then is what did you do to prepare your accountants so that they could prepare the client? Um, I think that the, the, the referrals come through in, in two areas, uh, in two ways, sorry. Uh, but to prepare the accountant, I first believed that I couldn't expect an accountant to refer people to me unless they really understood how I worked, how I went about it, how I related to them, how I empathized with them, these things. They couldn't, I didn't believe that they would be honestly referring people to me unless they indeed were clients themselves. And so they experienced the process that we went through. So once that happened, and, and for, for those teams of accountants who are existing or were clients, um, it was so much easier. So they were doing so from a position of understanding. But if clients, uh, accountants would refer people to me in two, two ways. One was to say, I'd get a phone call and, and they would say that, that a particular firm were going through a management buyout and that they'd had some discussion with them and they would give me an overview of where that that, that where these people were at and tell them tell me that they had mentioned my name and 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 were arranging an interview so so quite often from that point of view then then there might be a, an email that would go out to the client and one to me you know we're both looking at the same piece of paper so we know where we where we're coming from and and then it becomes a matter of arranging a time to to sit down um, so so where there is a specific need that's quite simple sometimes, um, but but where there is no specific need, but there the client perceives that there are some issues there that need to be dealt with, but isn't quite sure exactly what they all might be, is basically saying to me, look, we've got a, a clean um, clean sheet of paper here, but but these people I think need some help. There, I can see some issues, but you will be able to see others that need to be dealt with as well. So. Um, so in that case, well, in both of these cases, even though when I'm, I've been directed, say, as that example I gave before of the management buyout, 
one of the dangers with that sort of thing is that you go straight to the issue. It, it's really good to be able to hear somebody's story, to find out where they've come from and how that business has evolved and how it's grown and so on. And I like to be able to do that on every occasion for, for two reasons. One is because people love to tell their own story. And the other one is that when they do, you get to understand who it is that you're dealing with and what their thinking is and, 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 um, you know, feeling the 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 uh, the pleasure that they have, or the the feeling of success that they've had to get to where they've got. Um, so, that, you know, getting both of those those points of view. Um, but yes, going back to that, that is that, that is is hearing the story, and sometimes it's quite good just to take that first interview, hearing the story, and and because I think one of the one of the skills that is used. Is, is well worth developing is is the is trying to turn a chat a discussion a sharing of a story into a valuable resource because by asking the right questions at the right time to extract some in-depth thinking of a particular area which will help to make the story better for their point of view but it also gives a greater clarity of understanding for you from your point of view that you can you can pick up on that later on, or you you can be recording this as you're going through. And, and inevitably, I will ask clients if do they mind if I take notes while they're telling the story. And um, the good thing about that is that if you do have have that story, if you do have um, all that that emotional input, it is very very good because that you can use that as a check later on to make sure that what you have come up with and what you are putting to them for their consideration or of the of the solution that's required if there's a link with that then it all has so much more meaning yeah so you're basically um exploring someone's past in order to ensure that your recommendations have a, a genuine link to their situation on the way through, I, I basically believe that it's my job to empower a client to develop his own strategy to protect his business. Many people would be quite happy for me to say, I think you need to do this, 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 and this. But if, if, the, if the strategy has been developed by the client um, with input, from myself, it means that it is something that they have created in the end, rather than something that I have given them or sold them on the way through. And that, what that means is then that that when they they look to review what they've done, or they feel under pressure like they are now, and many of these people will be feeling the impact of virtually every business is feeling the impact right now of the of the virus, then if it's something that somebody has sold them or something somebody has told them is a good idea, then that whole thing may be at risk. Their whole um, protection may be at risk if they start to prioritize. But if the concept that they have, the strategy that they have has been developed by them and has they've been given strength on the way through to develop it. It is theirs. And so they are more than likely to 
feel comfortable, regardless of the circumstances, that they've done the right thing. And, and, um, and particularly, as I say, at this time, where there are risks and, and people are conscious of risks, but they're also conscious of costs. So um, let's, let's retain the program with the priority it deserves. Interesting. So if there's a better emotional connection to the creation of the strategy to help them protect their family and their company, then there's a closer likelihood of buy-in during any potential problem that comes up. They feel, I guess, empowered in that decision rather than receiving a recommendation they're co-creating the strategy. I, I really like this idea. How on earth do you do it? <laughs> I, I've never had to sit down and answer that question and look at that, that question. I guess it's, it's something that does evolve, but I don't, know, I don't really know how to answer your question, Clayton. Um, it's by guiding people to a decision rather than creating something and putting it in front of them certainly there are certain issues that you need to put in front of people because because we may perceive sometimes that something may be very very important but but the client may not see it that way so uh, we we do need to give them the opportunity to to view different approaches but uh, but in essence it it needs to come down to it being their decision yeah it's an it, to me it sounds like a very advanced working with people strategy. I, I, I really like it. I really like the concept. I, I, if I think about it in terms of what I would like as a, as a, as a client, you know, I would like to feel very much involved in that recommendation process. I just never realized that that sounds amazing up until you've explained that to me. And certainly when I was an advisor, I, I tell you what I would do. I would, I would find out what they wanted out of life, right? And then I would offer the recommendations to meet or to match those goals. However, I think I'm kind of missing a step or I was missing a step. I think probably a better way to go about it is to say, well, what do you want out of life? And now what do you think we should do to get there? I think that's a, that's a very, that, that is a very, very good strategy to work with people in terms of buy-in and i yeah i can say i never did it but i love the concept of it i'm not sure that i was i i i can take any credit for um any original thought on this but it it becomes a um i remember i think bacharach um um, wrote on value selling and i i think that by reading his material and just seeing he, he, he talks about the ownership. He talks about identifying with the values that a client has. And the more you get to know the client and the earlier you get to, to know the client, then the more likelihood there is that you're able to follow that path. Yeah, I think it is, it is so critical. Mm. Uh, and of course, I mean, there's, there's no new ideas under the sun. So, uh, yes, so you're right. Absolutely. But at the same time, the way that you are articulating it is in such a way that it's, you're, you're simplifying complex topics in a way that makes sense to me. And, and so, so I really appreciate you sharing this. Okay, I'll, I'll ask, what 
considering you, you've said that you've recently retired, um, and I know we briefly spoke last week and your daughter had sent you a couple of um, <laughs> boutique beers in the mail to be able to uh, share a great little video chat, which I thought was a fantastic idea. Um, what does what does retirement look like for you? Do you do, do you play golf or do you have an interest of staying in and around the industry or what's what's the plans? Well, if if I just go back and say, look, um, Clayton, I would prefer not to have been retired because ah. uh, uh, because I, um, I I really felt that that in retirement we all need purpose. And, and, and working with clients, but working um, with a lesser number of clients, um, because I'd started again fresh 10 years ago, it meant that, and because I was, I was only working with a limited number of cases during a year, in fact, I, I've, what I felt I wanted to do was to pick up a case and work it right through right through until I picked up another one before I picked up another one. Wow. And, and I felt by doing that, I could focus my energies and, and do the best possible job. I w- in the meantime, of course, if there are other uh, reviews I needed to do with other clients, then I would do them. Sure. But, uh, but I needed, I, what I wanted to do was to try to get some balance in my life by doing something that I love doing and creating time to do some of the other things that I would like to love doing as well. And, and so that means, I guess, that, um, but, but it was a health issue that, that really prompted me. But also be, because I'm, I'm getting quite long in the tooth now and um, well past what people would say is a retirement age. Um, and, and I just wanted to stay sharp. I just wanted, I didn't want, I have a, I have a habit of repeating myself and, and, and to get a point home. And, and I've probably done this several times in our discussion now, but, um, and I felt that there are some things that creep into my, um, my process that, that I didn't want to see. And, 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 and that comes with age. So, but I was, this the move into retirement was hurried along by a couple of health issues. Um, and so, um, so, so I've made the break, but just, just going back to that though, I think that in retirement, we, we do need to have a purpose and, and I will be seeking to replace that. I've, I've always had um, a wish to, to pursue writing and, and I am doing that. Um, I'd always wanted to learn to play the guitar and, and I'm, and I'm doing that. Yay. And, I, and uh, so I, uh, um, but also, um, I just love snooker and, um, <laughs> and on a, on a Wednesday afternoon, I've been doing this for a couple of years while I've to all intents and purposes still been working. Um, I've been meeting with a, with a group of old guys, about 30 of them. And, um, and we meet on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, most of them are older than me, few of them aren't. Um, and that, that includes, a, there, are, there are a couple of 94 year olds and, and, hey. and, and these guys are great. But um, it just helped to give a purpose. But but it um, you know I have a lot of things that I I'm I'm doing and and even though it's been a difficult time to to be retiring into I'm enjoying every minute of it. That's excellent. Um, what kind? What would be the? I guess and and you would have so much to share on this. But let's say 
there's an advisor they've been advising less than 10 years maybe um the 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 average amount of time someone has been an advisor in the xy advisor um membership is eight years so eight years is the average amount of time what what would be your number one piece of advice that you could give to advisors with around eight years of experience on how to take their advice to the next level? I think the, the important thing is, you know, we know in the industry that, that we're in, in financial services industry, we, we're inclined to gravitate towards people who are our, our own age, give or take a, a five years. Yep. So there's someone who's been in the industry eight years, let's say that they're in the early 40s. Correct. Um, and, and they're looking to, to, to improve, to get better. To, to me, I think there are a number of things have to happen. And one of them is to determine what it is that is, is the market that you want to be in, the market that you feel comfortable in, the market where the, the people are, the people that you relate to and enjoy being in their company. Where are these people? Are they in that, that market? So in other words, I guess create a, an ultimate situation and work back from it. And and so from my point, going back a few years ago, I decided I wanted to be in the business, small business market. And so I, I went and did just about every course that you could think of in, in our country and then even came across to, uh, to your country for, uh, for a number of um, conferences and so on to try and get better at what I was doing. And so one of the things I believe is that, that if you become very good, and I don't mean this in an arrogant fashion, but if you become very good in, the, in, in, in what you do, you find that the better you become, the less competition you have because the, you will be directed to your marketplace by other people. So to me, it, I was driven by a personal desire to be the best in my market. So from that point of view, determining the market you want to be in and taking the time to do that. See, one of the things, one of the problems you have when you start in this industry is that you just want people to say yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and that means that you have a lot of people who have said yes, some of whom you would be pleased to call your friend and, and, and invite out to dinner and that sort of, and others that you may not necessarily want to see a heck of a lot of. Oof, yeah. Because, so, so I was very fortunate because, say, 10 years ago, having sold my um, original book of business, I then started from scratch and built up a, a new one. That meant that I was in the market that I wanted to be. I was exclusively in that market. So if you've been eight years or 10 years in the business and you have built up a, 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 a good size client base, there might be people in there that you want to continue to look after but there may be people in there that you feel aren't in the market that you really want to be in so that means that you either have to do something about that you have to perhaps bring somebody new along or somebody who is more comfortable in the market that you don't choose for example i decided to move out of the domestic market if we use that term the personal market of and the insurance side um, and and, and just focus on the business market. But, but I wasn't going to build up a relationship with a businessman 
on the on his business protection and have him dealing with somebody else on his personal side. So that meant that most cases I would deal with them and look after them personally as well as in their business. So it, to me, it's a matter of actually determining the market you want to be in and really become good at it and use your time to upskill yourself um, in terms of um, education, but upskill yourself in terms of the skills and the understanding you need to have to access that market and do well in it. Um, but be prepared to work alongside others because those are the people, whether they are closely linked to you, and, and you will come to know whether you are a good coach or not. If you're a good coach and you, you, you can train people and mentor people, then bring people to you and, and bring them alongside with you. If you can't, if, and, and you're honest enough to know that you're not very good at sharing with other people, you're not very good at mentoring, it's not a skill that you have, um, and then it may be that you have to have a relationship which is a little bit further away. But if you can get this right, and this is what I feel I have achieved, if you can get this right, then as you get older and you find that there are other, other things you want to use your time for, and there are you looking for um, a more profitable or better return for your own effort and your time that you've spent. And therefore, you can allocate time to do other things as well. Then it may be that you can stay in the business for as long as you want to, knowing that you can deliver to people's needs as well as your own personally and to your family. And because as also as you get older, then family for some reason becomes even more important to you. And so it, it would be a sad thing to decide as it's time to retire that you should start having some relationships with the people around you. By that time, it's far too late. Yeah, that's a really good point. What, what's a book that you would recommend all advisors read? I haven't got a book that I think all advisors should read, but I think it does mean that you need as part of that upskilling and part of that education, if you like, the book that you may seek may not have anything to do with insurance or investment. It mm. may be something totally different. And, but it may be a market-based um, book. And um, I'm, I'm trying, and this is a ridiculous thing, this is part of getting older and, and where I, I talk about not um, performing as well, my memory starts to fade. And there is a, um, the, he was considered to be the best insurance advisor of all time in the United States. And, and I've just gone through a mental blank here and I just can't recall his name. Um, but um, he wrote a book on business insurance and some of the wisdom that was in that book was just just wonderful but but he had, had a career based on telling stories and um, and he was able to get close to people by sharing those stories so as i say that's maybe is another thing too and that is learning how to tell stories i'm not particularly good at it but but clients do enjoy stories and enjoy pictures being painted for them. So if that's something that is a skill that you'd like to develop, then that may mean going outside of something that is strictly to do with the insurance industry or the investment industry. That's awesome. Um, I've got to say, Ian, this has been delightfully, um, I would say, surprising 
um, that when I reached out to you to say, hey, do you want to uh, check out this series of digital events? And you said, uh, no, I've just retired. And then we sort of went back and forth. And uh, I, I thought you were a very interesting person to speak to. And um, I've never asked someone that I've uh, started an email with, you know, started emailing with um, to come onto a podcast, but there was just a very interesting um, story. There you go. Uh, that I feel that I wanted to um, find out of what your background was, and because you know you don't you don't get to stumble upon too many people with the level of experience you've had. So I want to say thank you for coming on and sharing. I would say your wisdom with you know thousands of advisors out there. Um, so really appreciate it. And then, uh, make sure you let me know when your book's finished (laughs) (laughs) and we'll make sure that it gets out there. Okay. Oh, well, look, thank you. And, and, And let me say this too, Clayton, that, that, um, the financial services industry needs people, people beyond the insurers and beyond the fund managers, but people who can relate and, and can, uh, work through with them and 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 because there are a lot of people who are still working by themselves and um, and it is it is sometimes challenging to to find a link with somebody and an organization who is prepared to listen or who is prepared to put out ideas and thoughts and and concepts for others to take the uh, the benefit of and get the gain the benefit from so uh, hey thank you for for um, for your initiative and um, it's it's been great to to uh, talk to you and and I wish you and and the people who may be listening to this podcast list I wish them all the very best too Oh, man. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Thank you.